This is the Marathon Training Academy podcast, episode 412. Thanks to Oladance Open Earbuds. They have 360 degree superior sound, but they never enter the ear, so there's no ear fatigue. Plus, you never lose track of what's happening around you. Visit oladance.com and use the promo code MTA20 to save 20%. This episode is brought to you by Revel Big Cottonwood, marathon and half marathon. Revel Big Cottonwood takes place in Salt Lake City, Utah on September 9th. And with a new course, it is Utah's fastest race for sure. Go over to runrevel.com, use the code MTA15 to get 15 bucks off. Thanks to our friends at MetPro. Speak with a metabolic expert to review your current habits, discuss your lifestyle needs, and receive actionable steps towards achieving your goals, whether it's to lose weight or change your body composition. Go to metpro.co forward slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. Hey, hey, welcome to the MTA podcast, where we empower you to run a marathon and change your life. In this episode, we break down the news from the 2023 Boston Marathon, plus three coaches from our team join us to share tips on how you can run a Boston qualifying time. And of course, you can get more actionable tips, training plans, and content inside the Academy. Find out how to become a member when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, so we are all ready to talk about the Boston Marathon, but really quick, we should mention that the London Marathon was historic this year. That just happened last weekend at the time of this recording. Angie, what went down at the London Marathon? Well, the female winner was Safan Hassan. She ran 218.33. She won it in a sprint finish. It was really exciting. She beat one of the strongest women's field in the history of the race. And interestingly enough, it was her first marathon. She didn't look like she would win. She kind of yo-yoed off the lead pack for much of the early part of the race. She had to stop twice to stretch on the course, which you really never see elite athletes doing, especially you know ones that go on to win. And was kind of looking like she might be on the verge of dropping out. But she restarted and chased down the leaders, managed to rejoin the lead group at around 40 kilometers, and was able to kick to the win. On the men's side of things, it was also pretty historic. Kelvin Kiptum used a surge just after the 30-kilometer point to break open the lead pack and win in a course record time of 2.01.25. His second half marathon split was 59.45. It's the fastest second half of a marathon ever. And so now he is the second fastest marathoner behind Elliot Kipchoge, who of course holds the official world record of 2.01.09. So it was pretty exciting to see this 23-year-old Kenyan just really, you know, showing up in London and, you know, kind of exciting to see what the future holds for him. And it was a good day at Boston for a lot of folks in our community. I'd like to say congrats to Laurel, who ran her first Boston in 402.16. She works with Coach Athena. Congrats also to Coach Antonio, who you're going to hear from later. He actually ran a PR at Boston, which is not easy to do. 
And David from Switzerland, who is an Academy member, says, first Boston Marathon done. I've never seen spectators and support like this. The yelling and screaming was almost deafening in places and so incredibly motivational. I was very moved when I passed the monument to the victims of the 2013 bombing, about 200 meters from the finish. I thought about Martin Richard, the eight-year-old boy who was killed that day, 10 years ago, as he watched people celebrate as they ran the last strides of their race, just as I was doing. I thought about the picture of him with the sign he wrote, which read, No more hurting people, peace. What happened that day and those words still resonate. Heartfelt thanks to the organizers, the volunteers, and the city and people of Boston and the towns along the route for making this such a truly special and memorable event. Yeah, well said. And this comes from Jessica in the SDR group. She says, first Boston Marathon finished in 3.31.23. I had the run of my life yesterday. I don't know if I would ever have had the confidence to run marathons if it wasn't for this group. This is one of the most accepting and encouraging corners of social media, and I appreciate every one of you. And this comes from Tony, also in the social distancing run group. Uh, He was at Boston this year, ran really fast. That's right. He says Boston Marathon finished in 248.25. It was an amazing experience, although the bus driver got totally lost going to Hopkinton. We only arrived about 30 minutes before the Wave 2 start. That happened to you one time. It did, yes. Unfortunately, I think it might happen every year. It seems we hear from (laughs) at least a couple people who got lost. Um, He says it rained most of the race and I couldn't get up to speed for about four miles due to the traffic. FYI, in my honest opinion, the Newton Hills are just small rollers. No problems after all the heel repeats I did. And I passed a lot of folks struggling walking up through them. Then I released the Kraken for the last 10K downhill to the finish. My right hamstring scared me with some cramps at about mile 22, but I bargained with the universe and kept running and it calmed down. (laughs) Then there was a crazy downpour, which felt like hail the entire last mile. It was such a relief to finish. This was my first ever official sub three and sub 250 marathon. Not bad for being 52 years old. All who ran are champions. Just love his energy. Congrats to everyone who completed Boston. And I know you're going to enjoy this episode. We're going to get into the news roundup from the Boston Marathon and the interesting stories that came out of it. Then we're going to bring some coaches on, three of our amazing coaches who were there, who ran Boston, and they're going to share tips on running and training. And even if you have no plans to ever try to qualify for Boston, I think you'll still get a lot of motivation from what these coaches have to say and stuff that you can apply to your own running. And real quick, I'd like to say a word of thanks to our sponsor, Long Run Coffee. It's made by runners for runners who want to get more out of the sport. This is delicious coffee infused with essential electrolytes. Really tasty after a run or a workout. I've had all of their coffee blends, including their decaf. Long Run Coffee, you're an athlete and your love of running is a fundamental part of your identity. So every moment counts and you want to fuel your passion every day. So head over to longruncoffee.com. Give it a try. If you're a new customer, you get free shipping. So how about that? Longruncoffee.com. Appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. Well on my way, well on my way. All right, let's talk about the 2023 Boston Marathon. We weren't there this year, but we did watch the live stream. As always, it's exciting. 
Boston Marathon is the oldest marathon in the world. And there was a lot of great human interest stories. Let's get into some of this, Angie. What do you got for us? Well, actually, the first one is a canine interest story. Um, A lot of people who have run Boston will remember Spencer and Penny. They were the Boston Marathon's official race dogs who would always be along the course holding little flags in their mouths. Unfortunately, they passed away um, in February. And so the day before a marathon, a group of 250 plus golden retrievers wearing golden strong bandanas around their necks and their owners gathered to honor them at the finish line. I saw a picture of that. It was like cuteness overload. Yeah. Of course, this year marked the 10th anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. And no one was assigned bib number 2013 in remembrance of the three that were killed and the hundreds wounded. The race included 264 members of the One Fund community, those injured by the attack, their friends and families. And Henry Richard, whose eight-year-old brother Martin died in the bombing, ran with Team MR8, which is the Martin Richard Foundation. He said, quote, it's an emotional day, definitely was thinking about that for most of the race, but we put together a fantastic team this year, people who mean so much to me, so much to my family, and I'm incredibly proud of them. And I read that some people who are friends with Martin Richard, the boy who was killed in the bombing, are now 18 years old, of course, and they were able to run the marathon for the first time. And, um, you know, just to honor the memory of him and those who were affected by the bombing. So this was the 127th edition of the Boston Marathon. The weather was cool, um, rising to the mid 50s, but had rain that fluctuated throughout the day from a drizzle to a downpour, as well as a headwind. So not ideal weather out there. But there were still some really exciting things that came out of the race. Um, the ESPN reported that at 6 a.m., race director Dave McGillivray sent out a group of about 20 people from the Massachusetts National Guard. They hiked the course every year on the state holiday of Patriots Day, which, of course, commemorates the start of the Revolutionary War. And roughly 30,000 runners participated in the race, and thousands of spectators were out to support runners along the course, even amidst the wet weather. All right, let's talk about the winners. For the wheelchair winners, Marcel Hoog finished with his sixth title in Boston with a time of 1.14.07, defeating his own course record by more than four minutes. On the women's side of things, Susanna Scaroni of the U.S. won with a time of 1.45.41, and her victory kind of came as a surprise because she had to stop early to tighten a wheel that began to wobble on the bumpy pavement. In the men's race, Evan Shabet of Kenya, the defending champion, finished first with a time of 2.05.54. He said it was the greatest win of his career. Gabrielle Gueye of Tanzania was second, finishing in 2.06.04. And third place was Benson Capruto of Kenya, hot on his heels in 2.06.06. So just two seconds behind him. I think the huge surprise on the men's elite side of things was Elliot Kipchoge finishing in sixth place with a time of 2.09.23. It was the slowest marathon of his career. He led the pack until about mile 19, although he visibly struggled during the Newton Hills, and he was dropped by the lead pack around mile 20. What do you think happened to Kipchoge out there? Well, I mean, I guess it wasn't his day. He was visibly limping after the race, so there's conjecture there was some kind of quad issue going on. But of course, he was extremely gracious after the race. He said, quote, I live for the moments when I get challenged to the limits. It's never guaranteed. It's never easy. Today was a tough day for me. I pushed myself as hard as I could, but sometimes we must accept that today wasn't the day to push the barrier to a greater height. 
So, of course, he's always well-spoken and gracious. I just kind of assumed he would win, I guess. Well, it was a safe assumption. Yeah, exactly. Because he always does win. Exactly. But he's not Superman, you know, he's not invincible. And you never know what the marathon can throw at you. That's right. The top American was Scott Fobble in seventh place. I think he finished seventh place last year as well. He said, quote, most of the lead pack blew up. Even Elliot Kipchoge blew up. I almost caught him. I'm sure that was pretty exciting to be 21 seconds behind Kipchoge. All right. So how did it go down for the women? Helen O'Beary of Kenya, a two-time Olympic silver medalist in the 5,000 meters, won in 2:21:38, and this was only her second marathon. Um, she said in a post-race interview she had recently moved to the U.S. and had to be talked into running Boston, so she wasn't really sure about that she wanted to run it in the first place. Um, waiting at the finish line was her husband and her young daughter, so it was really exciting to see how proud they were of her. Second place was Amane Bariso of Ethiopia in 221.38. And third was Lana Saltpeter of Israel in 221.57. Uh, the fourth place finisher, Ababel Yeshana of Ethiopia, took really a nasty fall when she was clipped by the pack. But she hopped right back up and continued strong, even though, of course, she didn't podium. And then looking strong was Emma Bates of the U.S. who led the elite women over the Newton Hills and finished fifth with a new PR of 2.22.10. And I was kind of following Sarah Hall of the U.S. She recently turned 40. She finished 17th with 2.25.48 and set the new American Masters record. She said, quote, when I signed up for Boston, I couldn't even run. I couldn't fathom slamming down hills, which is an IT band's nightmare. But I did it in faith that I could get ready in time and to learn the course for the future. I'm so glad I didn't miss this. It's always worth showing up to find out. I like it. Show up to find out. And this is cool. 77-year-old Patty Hung of California broke the record for the most consecutive Boston marathons for women. Uh, She's now done 37 in a row. So how about that? (laughs) Her finishing time was 540.37. That's really amazing. Yeah. Another amazing woman finisher was Jeannie Rice, age 75. She finished in 333.15. Her time improves the existing marathon record for her age group, although it's not certain it will count because the Boston course is not world record eligible. That's because it has a net downhill. That's right. So if you're listening, don't set any world record attempts on Boston. (laughs) I'm sure lots of people are making notes right now. And another amazing woman, Christy Kirk, survived both a stroke and the Boston Marathon bombings, and she celebrated her health by running the marathon for Teddy's Boston Marathon team. She said, we are all and will forever be Boston strong. When I run, my glass always changes from half empty to half full. That's good. Wow, what a great perspective. Thanks for pulling together all these quotes, Angie. We've heard some good mindset stuff. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, even from people who didn't win, you know, whether it's Kipchoge or Sarah Hall or Christy Kirk, you know, I think these people really demonstrate tenacity and hard work. And I think that's a lesson that can carry over to those of us who, you know, are never going to podium at a marathon probably or (laughs) middle or back of the pack runners. I am one of those kind of runners. I have never podiumed. You have. Speaking of qualifying for Boston, it helps to have a fast downhill race. So we're really excited to have the Revel Big Cottonwood sponsor this episode. Revel Big Cottonwood presented by Albion will uh, take place September 9th, 
2023. And like all the Revel races, it's incredibly beautiful, fast. It's downhill. We just did Revel Mount Charleston in Vegas. Angie has her PR, in fact, at a Revel race. That's right. Revel Big Cottonwood takes people down the breathtaking Big Cottonwood Canyon in the Wasatch Mountains. I have run there. It's very, very beautiful. Not on this course, particular course, but... Yeah, because this is a new course. This is a new course. They're billing it as the fastest race in Utah to help you secure a PR or BQ if that's what you're going for. It's definitely a race you won't want to miss. You can register at runrevel.com with the code MTA15 to get $15 off your registration. For the full marathon, there is a elevation drop of 5,200 feet, and for the half, 2,800 feet. And then, boom, you finish right there in the Salt Lake Valley in September. Should be beautiful weather and lots to do. And of course, with all Revel races, they give out great race perks. They have big medals, stylish race shirts, free photos, and a personalized race video. Yeah, it's cool. They don't make you pay for your photos and videos. That's always nice. RunRevel.com. Get signed up for Revel Big Cottonwood. Use the code MTA15 for $15 off. All right, for this episode, we are going to be joined by Coach Antonio Garcia. He ran Boston this year in 3-20-25. He's originally from Spain and lives with his family in Miami, Florida. We also have Coach Kristen Smith. She is a 258 marathoner, and last year she won the Rebel Mount Charleston half, and she was a pacer out there for them this year. And then we have Coach Steve Walden. He's been on our team for a while. Um, He is a 253 marathoner. He's run over 50 marathons and ultras, including the Atacama Desert Crossing, the self-supported stage race. He's doing another stage race that he's going to talk about, which is really interesting. And Steve is a 330 pacer at the New York City Marathon every year. So here's our group call with the coaches to talk about all things Boston. I'll play that for you right now. Okay, we're hanging out on mic with three of our amazing coaches here at MTA from all over the country. We've got uh, Coach Antonio in Miami, Florida, Coach Chris in New York City, and Coach Steve out on the West Coast in California. Hello to everybody. I'm just looking at some of the numbers. Well, first of all, congratulations to all three of you on successfully running Boston. It looks like you all had a great time out there. So even though it was raining to some degree or another the whole day. Anybody get wet out there? (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a given. <laughs> yes. It was a little bit misty in the morning, very light rain and perfectly acceptable. And uh, somewhere around mile 23 for me, the skies opened up. I mean, it was just full on downpour. And, you know, I wasn't racing, so I, I didn't worry too much. And it was, it was kind of fun. Um, but my shoes weighed about 20 pounds each after that for the next two miles. There's <laughs> like no avoiding the puddles at that point. You're yeah. just saturated. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't like, what, what year was it when it oh, was just- 2018. 2018. Yeah. So Steve and Antonio, both of you finished in 320. Chris, you finished in, was it 302? 302. Easy run day for you, right? <laughs> just- <laughs> Yeah, tell us about your thoughts, kind of how you approached the race, Chris. You said at some point you kind of knew it wasn't going to be the best day to push hard. And so tell us like how you approached your race. I was hoping for a PR. I PR'd in Boston last year with a 258.27. 
And, you know, training has gone well, but the difference of just one year, it once you sort of have reached a point of, of training and doing a number of marathons, it becomes really hard to squeeze out more of yourself. And, you know, mm. I'm, I'm at a point, you know, in my running career, I guess, where, you know, I'm really just begging for like one second improvement because I, I've chipped <laughs> away and chipped away. So I was a little off early on and wasn't feeling super great. And because I am an experienced runner and coach, you know, I kind of know what the signs are. And so I basically was like, this is not a PR day for me. It's it's not going to happen today. So I was able to switch to plan B, which was to have the most enjoyable Boston uh, that I possibly could. And I love the race and the the community there shows out, you know, no matter what the conditions are. And so, you know, it's very easy to just take in the crowds, get all the high fives. You don't have to have the best race of your life in terms of finishing time to still have the best race of your life, I think. That's very well said. <laughs> so let's riff on that for a moment. People that are listening right now, how how would they know if they're in a race and things are not going well and they, they should switch to plan B? What are some of the thoughts that you had, Chris, when you when you made that switch and decided, hey, this is not going to be the PR day for me? Well, it is easier for me because I am, I have done a number of marathons. And so I know I, you know, I was hitting marathon pace early on, but I was working harder for marathon pace early on than you really want to be because mm. it gets harder as you go, obviously, right? So if you're already working hard and you're like at mile 10 or at the half or mile 14 and you're working like hard for that marathon pace it's probably not going to be sustainable up for the next 10 plus miles um and so that became very clear to me and then the other thing is that in terms of the course itself boston you know that later later half is harder and the hills you, you don't hit those until mile 16 so if you're not in fighting spirits and in you know in fighting shape before 16 then those hills are going to knock you down for sure. Uh, so, you know, those two things were sort of the writing on the wall there. I like it. Antonio, have you ever had to do that in a race? Um, I have, you know, it's happened before. I remember a few years ago uh, running Revel in Idaho and um, it was a um, bit of a different type of race for me because, as you know, you I live in Miami at Twin at Sea Level. Sun Valley, Idaho, the, um, the race started at 7,000 feet. And um, pretty much after like mile five, I realized that, um, you know, it wasn't going to, uh, you know, it wasn't going to be my day. So you, as um, Chris was saying, you know, you, you try to adjust, you know, obviously plan A is not going to happen. Then you move into plan B and, uh, you know, trying to maintain, you know, um, as even a space as possible. Try to, of course, you know, avoid any sort of like forcing the issue, getting into a potential injury or something like that. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, it, it does happen. You know, PRs, you know, don't come uh, don't come often. You know, it's uh, difficult. I think all the um, our stars need to be aligned properly. That, uh, mm -hmm. that particular day, you know, you have to be in good shape, uh, have to have a good night's sleep, good nutrition, hydration the day before, going to the bathroom you extremely important you know so many factors. Mm -hmm. um, weather as well 
Well, it sounds like the stars aligned for you, Antonio, on Monday. Congratulations on your new PR. That was really exciting to hear about. Tell us how you went into the race, kind of your mindset and your strategy and stuff like that. So um, what I did last year, um, I PR'd with a 321.56. And um, I thought a PR was possible this year. Um, so the way I approached the race, I, I broke the race into 5K segments. Ideally, in you know, in every race, you know, we try to um, reach negative splits, you know, at least or at least even splits. In this case, Boston is not necessarily you know the the best case for you know, for negative splits, you know, <laughs> due, due to the nature of the of the course. So I broke the race into five k segments. Basically, like in the morning of the race, I wake up really early with a sharpie. I uh, my arm, I put you know over the five k. Um, times from last year so i you know as as the race went along i could check um, my split so every 5k I was chipping away like between five and ten seconds by the halfway point last year i ran a 140.07 this year I was at a, at a 139.40 so i sort of knew you know it may be a special day then by the time the hill started at that 25k i was close to a minute ahead actually about 45 50 seconds ahead but, you know, that's when the race starts at uh, 25K. <laughs> Luckily, everything went well. The hills can, uh, can't train too much on hills here in uh, South Florida, but at least we have bridges. So we try to, <laughs> we try to do bridges. So um, basically, every 5K, I was able to uh, chip away up between 5 and 10 seconds, you know, try to do as uh, steady as possible. And, um, you know, by the time you get to 40, 41K, you just run with your heart. You know, I was, mm -hmm. I was exhausted and everything hurts. But uh, when there is about a mile to go, finish with your heart. That's why I always mm -hmm. tell runners I coach, you know, just uh, marathon. The way I see it's a 25-mile race. Get to 25 miles and the final mile, you'll, you'll find a way. That's right. <laughs> Dig deep. <laughs> so you finished in 3, 20, 25. People are going to be wondering how old you are. So at what age did you hit this PR? I'll be 60 years old in uh, a July 4th weekend. So okay. and close to 60. <laughs> Antonio, when you ran your first marathon, what was the time? Close to five hours. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and how old were you then? I was in my um, early 40s, I think. Okay. It's just yeah. amazing. I was thinking about this the other day, how the window for improvement is so big with our sport. And look how much Antonio has improved from a five-hour marathon down to a 320. And you might be at the point, like Chris was saying, now you're just going to start shaving you know, smaller and smaller increments of time off of your PR, but you're still improving. Trying to, of course, you know, the first thing a friend of mine, you know, tells me after the race, instead of congratulating me, he tells me like, you could have broke 320. You could have been 319.15. And I'm like, come on, just give me a break, you know, congratulate me at least. <laughs> so yeah, there is, there is a possibility of, uh, of improvement. You know, why not? <laughs> That's the runner brain though. You're always the trying to be brain. like, hmm, if I hadn't slowed down there, you know. <laughs> uh, now, Coach Steve, this was your seventh Boston. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, number seven, plus the virtual, which I don't count. <laughs> so you're super familiar with the course. What was your mindset going in, um, and how did the race go for you? Yeah, my mindset was a little bit different than uh, Coach Antonio and Chris because, you know, like I mentioned before, I've got this uh, big ultra marathon in June, which means that right now I'm kind of entering the bulk of my volume phase. And so what I couldn't afford to do was taper for this race and miss on, on the training for my June mm -hmm. race, and I couldn't afford to push myself too hard 
and then take off a week or 10 days afterwards. It would be this two-week dead zone when I needed to be high volume and high intensity. And so, you know, I was running combined almost 30 miles, like in the two or three days before the race, just to, you know, keep on training. And so race day for me was like an easy day. Um, like a long run. <laughs> yeah, it's like a long run with a half million people cheering you on. So, so it was great. Uh, you know, it was, I didn't worry about my splits, whether something was an eight minute mile or a 745 mile. You know, I wasn't disciplined to be like, hey, it should be under this. I'm like, you know what? Run by feel, whatever feels mm-hmm. good. Going down the hill, going up the hills. You know, if I speed up through Wellesley because the scream tunnel, then soak it in, enjoy it, make the most of it. And it was great because this is my seventh time running it, and it was by far the most exciting. Hmm. And I can't tell you if there are more people on the streets that day, but it felt like it, like there were. Um, every minute was just like amazing. And hmm. I did a couple of things which I normally wouldn't do and would never do in Boston. And the first <laughs> is I had a glass of champagne at mile 20. A friend of mine was cheering. And uh, he happened to have a bottle of champagne. And so I said, can I have a sip? And uh, took a swig of champagne just before Heartbreak Hill. Um, And then the night before, I was talking to a friend. And uh, he said, do you want a beer at mile 23? I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's go for a beer. Yeah. Pulls out a tall boy in Narragansett at mile 23. And my friend Brandon had it out for me. And I just like grabbed it. And I, you know, started chugging it running. And uh, it was funny because I heard spectators to my left and people running to my right and they were talking to each other and I could hear them say, is he drinking a beer? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but for me, like the day was very much about enjoy the moment, enjoy the race, mm-hmm. enjoy the people. And then, you know, really being grateful that this is something that I get to do to take that opportunity and make the most of it uh, was what Monday was for me. And it was it was so much fun. It's amazing that you can do that and still finish in 320. <laughs> <laughs> I think this just illustrates between our three coaches, there's like no wrong way to run the Boston Marathon, you know? Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> like whatever makes you happy and lights your fire. I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I saw the, the pictures that you posted, Chris, and you had just huge smile on your face. You were just amped by the crowd, amping up the crowd. So what did you think about the vibe and the energy from Boston this year? I agree with Steve. I think the crowd was extra this year. This was my fifth year running it. And I don't know what they did, but they they were extra fiery. It was, it was cool. packed. I mean, it's always been packed, but they really are like reaching out to you as you go by. I mean, they're like trying to get closer to you. There's barricades in certain places, but other places where there's like rope, they're really pushing in. I mean, they, they want to be near you. They want to like, I write my name on my bib. So they'll like specifically call your name out. It's very symbiotic, you know, they're, and they'll hand you whatever, like bananas, orange slices, beer. Yes. Um, you know, there's places you can do vodka shots, um, by Boston college and, you know, Wellesley, obviously the scream tunnel, they are as excited as you are for some reason, (laughs) you know, (laughs) they all have champagne. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It, it really makes you feel like like a rock star, which is which is incredible. That's cool. So, uh, Steve, you mentioned that you're doing a stage race, ultra stage race. Can you tell us um, where that is and what that involves? Yeah, it's organized by a great organization called Racing the Planet. Uh, I've done two of their races before, and it is a six stage stage race that takes over the course of seven days. 
and it's two unique things. One is the, you know, it's a stage race. So every day you get up and you run a set distance, you know, with the crew, uh, and there's a set finish point and over each day you accumulate, you know, your, your time on the course. Right. And the second thing is that it's, it's self-supported. So except for the tents that you sleep in at night, cause this is in the middle of the desert and except for the water that you drink and cook with during the run and in the evenings, uh, everything you are going to use during the course of those seven days, you've got to carry with you. So hmm. your sleeping bag, your clothes, wow. your headlamp, all the food you're going to eat for seven days, any snacks, any small, you know, accoutrements or entertainment that you might need over, <laughs> you know, over a week in the desert, you know, with no electronics or no anything. It, it's really interesting. It's really unique. It draws such terribly fascinating people from around the world. And it's a great opportunity to meet you know, some really, really close friends in really close quarters in a very condensed amount of time. Um, so this one's going to be in the uh, in the Gobi Desert on the uh, China-Mongolia border. And mm. really looking forward to it. It's going to be one of the more unique desert experiences because the temperature swings are a little bit more different than other deserts. It's not quite as arid as a lot of other ones. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be cold sometimes. It's going to be hot sometimes. It's going to be sandy. It'll be grassy. So you've got to kind of be prepared for everything for this race. Sounds like a real logistical challenge. I'm just thinking like, I don't think I'd be able to carry enough food to sustain me for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, are you just like not going to shower for a week? Yeah. There's no showers. <laughs> <laughs> no one showers for a week and you're in a tent with five other people who also haven't showered. You hope someone brought wet wipes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What, a, what an adventure though. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that, that's why, you know, Boston was training for me and it was, it was, it was a great training opportunity because, you know, I could run double digits on the days before. Right. And then this will be just another day, just like it would be in the course of the stage race I'm doing. Cause the stage race is about 160 miles over the course of these six stages. Mm -hmm. So the first three days is about a marathon a day. The fourth day is a 50 mile day. The mm -hmm. fifth day you run a marathon after that. And then thankfully the last stage is it's about 10 K it's a, it's a victory lap if, if there ever was one. Um, <laughs> so you gotta, you have to get used to running, you know, back to back to back to back to back to back to back long runs. Do you think like, since you're carrying all that gear that a lot of people just power hike the whole way? A lot of people do. Um, and in fact, I met this guy when I did the race down in the Atacama in 2012 and he hiked the entire thing. He was a geology professor from Australia. And so being able to be in the Atacama Desert, which has these very rare and strange rock formations for him was really made the race. And um, typically people, as the days go by, their backpacks get lighter because you eat through your food, you dispose of things that you've used, etc. And this guy, Billy, he's a geology professor. He's picking up rocks <laughs> along the way. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. You're making your pack heavier. He's like, yeah, but you got to see these rocks. <laughs> he's like, hey, you want to carry one for me? <laughs> <laughs> you could trade food for a rock carrying <laughs> and that's really neat mm. hey quick break to thank our sponsor ola dance they make wearable stereo earbuds with incredible sound quality and they don't go inside the ear canal they sit on top of the ear so you can still hear what's going on around you 
Yes, if you're like me and you wear your headphones for more than two hours a day, Ola Dance is a must-have. I've really appreciated having them. Perfect for listening to your favorite podcast, audiobooks, music. They have a secure fit that stays firm on your ears even when you're running, strength training, yoga, all that good stuff. And they have really good 360-degree superior sound. And the battery life is amazing. Like I go multiple days and forget to charge them and they'll finally remind me like batteries at 20%. I'm like, oh yeah, I have to charge these things. So Ola Dance wearable stereo, check them out. See why we love them. Go to oladance.com. Use the code MTA20 to get 20% off. oladance.com. Thanks also to our friends at MetPro. They, of course, have metabolic experts and nutrition coaches who will really help you get things figured out. They'll start up adjusting or down adjusting to get your metabolism working like it should because even if you eat healthy, you you might find that you kind of plateau because our bodies just pretty much eventually get used to whatever we do. Yes, the body's very interested in preserving itself. And unfortunately, it tends to preserve more fat than some of us want to carry around. So working with a MetPro coach can help you achieve fat loss. In fact, starting to work with MetPro was one of the key factors in helping me be able to requalify for Boston after I had about a four or five year gap where my time had slowed and my body fat had increased and they were able to really help me get to where I wanted to be with my health and my fitness. Go over to metpro.co forward slash MTA. And if you decide to work with one of their coaches, tell them that we sent you. You'll save 500 bucks. Metpro.co forward slash MTA. So Chris, did you use Boston as a, uh, a training run for something else that you got going on this year? I am not entirely sure. I do have Chicago this fall for the Abbott World AG Championships. So I committed to that. That's a, that's a big goal. Um, I turned 40 last year, last June. So, you know, I'm, I'm taking advantage of all these master's opportunities that, that, that exist. <laughs> that big, you know, 4 um, <laughs> That's right. Welcome. Welcome to 4 Yes. <laughs> I'm over the hill. <laughs> Steve, are you over the hill yet? 41. Okay. We're, we're all, all over the hill. All, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Angie's way over it. Yes. <laughs> the view is great, Youngsters, guys. No. <laughs> I'm way over like a bunch of hills already. <laughs> He's been over all the hills, all the <laughs> all the Newton hills. Uh, anyway, sorry, I cut you off. But do you get invited when you start placing well um, in your age group? Do you get invited to do other Abbott marathons or what? Yeah. So the Abbott uh, World AG is, a, is an invitation system. Yeah. Obviously, I nice. mean, you can run Chicago as you know, as a Chicago marathoner, but they have a separate race within the race, which will be for these age group championships. So that will be this fall. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do in between. We will see. Time to recover and celebrate Boston for a while and then (laughs) figure out what's next, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I'm sure people that are hearing this, they're hearing about all the great energy and all the fun at Boston. And they're thinking, man, I want to train for BQ. And maybe each of you can maybe share a tip, you know, from your own coaching and how you help people train for a Boston Marathon uh, qualifying attempt. So if I come to you, I'm, I'm kind of a bad example because I'm so lazy. <laughs> There'd be so many things that he could do. I'm that so would lazy. Oh, where to start? Let's say this. If a client comes to you and says, hey, maybe they're like 45 minutes away from their BQ time and they're like, hey, we, I really want to get this done. So what do we start doing? What do we work on? 
Let's start with uh, Antonio. One of the um, important things, you know, when when you try to um, do a you know BQ or, or any any marathon, I would say, um, which is very important, and you know, it does apply a lot to um, to Boston. As a matter of fact, I always tell uh, tell the runners, I um, I coaches, like do study the course. You know, it's very important to understand the course, uh, the challenges that uh, the course uh, throws at you. You know. Boston is a typical example, which I, I would also tell uh, runners um, on a marathon, very important, do not start too fast. Um, that, that's a typical case, you know, the adrenaline, the excitement. Boston itself, you know, the first like half of the race is like is a net downhill and people are going to have the tendency to, to go too fast. Um, so uh, very important, you know, a marathon is a long race, um, save energy for the second half of the race because you will need it. So if you're going for a BQ attempt at your marathon, don't blow up the first half of the race. Exactly. Get to focus on that even pacing. I remember hearing uh, Meb Kofleski speak and his splits the year that he won were one second apart. That's nailing it right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Angie, you can do that, right? I'm really terrible about positive splitting, if we're going to be honest. <laughs> Uh, You're positive I, that you have a positive split. I'm very positive about it. Most marathons, which... <laughs> Even your, your PR race. The first part was really downhill. This was at Revel Cooley in Hawaii. And it was cool in the morning. And I knew like as the day wore on, it was going to get super hot. We're going to hit more of the flat asphalt, you know, like near Kona and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, if I can bank a little time, like famous last words, right? <laughs> <But> <laughs> in this case, it helped because by the time I hit mile 24, I was overheating and I had slowed down significantly. And a few times I was wondering if I was going to pass out. I was like, ooh, you know, I need to maybe slow down a little bit. But, it, you know, it still resulted in a decent PR. So sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't. <laughs> I got to say, it's, I was talking with someone about that exact thing because the, the race that I did in the Atacama every morning, it was like 65 maybe in the morning. And it's cool because you've got the Andes to the east so that the sun doesn't quite come up until a little bit later in the day. These yeah. stages are typically will take between four and nine hours. And so in the middle of the day, it got up to 110 degrees, right? Mm. And so you're just, you're gonna melt. And it took mm -hmm. me a while to realize it was not until the fourth day that I was like, you gotta go out hard when the, the weather is cool because you're gonna slow down once it gets above 80, 90, 110, no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, take advantage of that. Like don't, you're not sprinting, but it's like <laughs> push the pace when you can because once the sun's overhead, like you cannot push the pace. It will force you to slow down. Yeah, and, it'd be uh, dangerous. <laughs> I started employing that strategy for the last three days, and it, it really paid off. Mm -hmm. So again, kind of know your race, know your course, know what it's... And of course, weather is a huge wild card in a lot of races, especially yeah. Boston, because there's been years where it's been really hot. There's been years where it's been freezing. There's It frequently rains like it did this year. So sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get. So you kind of have to make that call based on what the forecast looks like, but... <laughs> Yeah, they should relocate the Boston Marathon to a place where there's better weather. What do you guys think? Not to, not to Miami. Don't send, don't, send, don't send it to Florida, please. So, Steve, what are some of your tips for people pursuing a BQ? Someone comes up to me and they say they want a BQ. You know, the first thing I ask is kind of like, where are you? Right. And how is that representative of you as a runner? Right. A lot of people have run, they get their first or second marathon and then they get the, the smell of the BQ because they see people, they understand what it is. And you got to ask like, okay, maybe they're 30 minutes away. Okay. Well, let's look at that marathon. Was it a good marathon for you? 
a lot of people have bad marathons their first time and there's a lot of room to chip away after that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I might look at their even shorter distance things to see kind of like, where's your like rough potential, you know, based on maybe the past six months or a year. Right. So that establishes kind of like firm expectations, at least in the short term. Right. And then you have the conversation of how much does it mean to you? How hard are you willing to work for it? And then how long, Right. Mm -hmm. If it means a lot for a little and they can only give one or two buildups, then that might be tough if they're not already close. But if if they're realistic and they say, okay, you know, yeah, I got to chop 25 minutes off, but I'm willing to work at this for years. You Mm -hmm. know, I've I've had a lot of runners like that. Then it's like, okay, like that's the conversation that I enjoy having because I don't feel like like I'm under the gun because as coaches, you know, we have to balance being responsible with feeling like we have to get give results for people because we you know we really live and die like emotionally with it with our runners like we want them to have great races and so mm-hmm. you know we want to push them through all the miles and all the workouts but we know better right and so <laughs> once in a while you have that runner who's like it's within the window of, of reality and you know i'm willing to work with it for a long time so you know kind of assessing those those three things like what's your rough potential now how much time do you have to work with and you know and how bad do you really want it yeah. Those things don't all have to be in alignment, but give me two out of three and I'm pretty sure I can, I can make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It can be a multi-year project for sure. And and most people find out that it is a multi-year project. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Coach Chris, any tips for us? Yeah. I really like to preach um, consistency and finding joy in the process. There's something really beautiful about that as we've all said, there's no guarantees on race day. Um, You can be handed whatever mixed bag. And so if you love what you're doing, if you really enjoy going out for those runs, if it's something where you're meeting with friends or it's a time for you to relax your your mind or just get away from screens for a while, then you're going to be able to to really commit to it. And you're also going to, you know, you're going to seek those experiences out. And so, you know, having that really feeds your soul and feeds the ever, every day because progress doesn't come from one week of working hard. Progress doesn't come from, I put in that really good one month that was solid. You know, it takes a long time to build up years, as we said. And so you have to find uh, joy in the every day, in the little things that you can savor and the things that you can control because there's a lot of things that you can't control. So I, you know, I really just like people who want to run for the the joy of running and for the the experience of of running itself and i think that goes a long way towards feeding goals and feeding desires and feeding results uh, at the end of the day did you say get away from screens <laughs> <laughs> that's we're all gathered around a screen on a friday night <laughs> it looks like hollywood squares <laughs> no but can you unpack that i for me personally i if i'm inside all day I have this yearning to just like, I have to get out, you know, um, it can be really crummy outside. It doesn't really matter what it's like outside. I just need to, you know, breathe the air outside. There's something, you know, really sort of freeing about it. And, you know, for me, it's sort of a, a time to check in with myself and feel like I'm part of the, the bigger world because I don't really get that feeling and that connection you know, even though we can all see each other and say hi through the screen, it's it's not really the same. I know. I look at a screen all day. So I hear you. 
I'm like, man, I'm, I'm ready to get outside, go do something, <laughs> yeah. take advantage of the good weather, especially now. Well, thank you, coaches, for sharing your knowledge and expertise. And just thank you for how you're uh, making a difference and impacting people's lives, um, all the clients that you work with. And it's just an honor to have you on our team. Super congrats again on the stellar performances at Boston. Antonio doing a lifetime PR, just amazing. Which is not easy at Boston. So yeah, most people <laughs> don't PR there, I imagine. <laughs> Angie, you actually BQ'd at Boston last time you ran, and that's hard to do. But it wasn't a PR, so. Yeah. <laughs> so we were disappointed in you. I know. <laughs> Expect better. <laughs> you were like in a bar somewhere like, oh, she must have finished already. Oh, I was supposed to meet her at a finish line. <laughs> I, was, I was with the kids. I was in a bar with the kids. No. Yeah, so keep up the great work, guys, and, and thanks for joining us again on the MTA podcast. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, everyone. All right. Well, always fun to chat with our coaches. It's cool to hear what they're up to. I mean, what Steve was talking about, running across the Gobi Desert, that sounds so interesting. I mean, it sounds brutal, but <laughs> carrying all your stuff for seven days, all your food and everything, <laughs> we definitely need to have him on the show after he gets back, if he makes it. <laughs> of course he will. <laughs> yeah, I just love all the possible running adventures that are out there that exist. Pretty much anywhere you want to go. Marathons all over the world, ultras. If hearing these stories kind of sparks a desire in you to take your training to the next level, we have just very accomplished and knowledgeable coaches on our team. We'd love to help you and train you specifically for your goals. You can find out more about coaching over at marathontrainingacademy.com forward slash coaching. And when you're on our website, of course, you can find the show notes to this episode, all the links that were mentioned, as well as our other podcast episodes and uh, success stories from our community. So that's it for today. Thank you, everyone, for being a listener. You guys are awesome. Remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.